Thank you for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at imtheexchange.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at imtheexchange.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages to you each week. Please take a moment and prepare your heart to hear a word from God. Like I said earlier, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Remember to smash that like button, share the feed uh, for your friends, and leave a comment, please. Uh, Every time that you do a reaction, every time that you leave a comment, it enables somebody else to see it. Facebook runs this algorithm that the more popular a post is, the more people it reaches. Uh, I know it's kind of odd the way they do that, but uh, if it's more popular, it reaches more people. So um, if you can, like, share, comment, it gets us to people. Like I said last week, we were talking to a customer, and um, they had finished their service. They had finished watching their service, and the next video up for suggestion was our service. So Maybe it wasn't live, but they were able to tune in. They were able to jump on and uh, watch our service, which is great, which is what we want in our community. We want people hearing God's message. We want people hearing uh, what God has for us. Um, Also, don't forget to check in. Um, This this month, uh, we are providing... Uh, 50 gallons of safe drinking water for every check-in. So please check in. I just checked in while that video was rolling. I checked in myself. I almost checked into the wrong place, uh, and I had to cancel my check-in and then redo it. It was like seconds before the uh, video was over. But I checked in. I provided 50 gallons of safe drinking water to someone in need. And that is exactly what every single check-in that you do does. So please check in. Um, last week, we talked about community, right? How many of you here knows uh, that's what we talked about? All right. Yeah, I see all those hands. Um, but we talked last week about community. And uh, I also, if you watched it and you were tuning in, you also got to see a clip of one of my favorite shows with the same title, Community. Um, But we were talking about what that video that we just played uh, went over, uh, that it said this, that Jesus spoke constantly on our need to love people. He constantly said that. Every message that he he had, the uh, Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, um, from the sermons that he spoke in the temples to the random occurrences with people that he had throughout his life and throughout the Gospels, um, Jesus is always speaking love. He's always teaching people how to love each other. In uh, John fifteen twelve, 12, uh, it said, Jesus commands his disciples to love one another as he loved them. And in the next verse, John 15, 13, he describes to us what he means by saying love. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And I thought it was going to be a little redundant to throw it up on the screen for you, considering that we just watched a video that said the exact same thing. But that is the message that Jesus not only said at the Last Supper, not only told his disciples, this is my command, but that is how Jesus lived his life. 
Jesus lived his life for the greater good of all mankind. And he came down for that purpose. He came down to show us how to live. Jesus was constantly trying to teach us how to bring the kingdom of God to earth. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, to earth. He even goes so far as to say that if you keep this command, this one command, if you love each other as he has loved us, that that is how you will stay in Jesus' love. And by doing this, uh, that is also how people will see that you are a follower of Jesus. Pastor Jared brought a great message two weeks ago about the difference between a Christian and a follower of Christ. That being a Christian is easy. Being, having that label is easy. But being a follower of Christ demands more. It demands a, a higher standard. And that standard is love. Uh, we'll talk about that more here in a second. But last week, I broke down how Jesus wants us to love each other. And by doing this, we can build a strong community around us, a community that will not break at the first sign of uh, adversity, but will instead stand the test of time. And having a community, having a strong community is so important. Uh, You guys have experienced this through COVID. The fact that, you know, all of March and all of April, we weren't even allowed to really talk to each other, to get around each other. We, we were in total lockdown. And how many of you, even, even the introverts I know, even the introverts were having a little bit of a shock when come the end of April. They were like, okay, okay, I need to avoid somebody. Okay, I need to go and avoid somebody. This is, it's, this is a ghost town. But we experienced the lack of community. We experienced the lack of communication. And some st- Some states are still in that. Some states are still in a lack of community. They can only have community through their their laptops, through their iPhones. They can only have community from a distance. Um, And and that, that hurts us. That hurts us fundamentally as human beings. That we, we need contact with other people. We need communication with other people because, because it, it, it strengthens us. It encourages us. Whenever we are stuck in our heads and we're, we're stuck in this loop of depression or we're stuck in this loop of woe is me, having someone around you going, woe is you, woe is me, helps put stuff into perspective. You know, uh, like woe is me, my internet went out. You know, while the other person's like, well, woe is me, I have COVID. You know, like, there's a big difference in these two things. And so having people around just for that reason can help us put our perspectives in. But even more so, whenever we are in community and we're fellowshipping and we're communicating with each other and we're having fun with each other and we're enjoying each other's company, our strength as a unit is so much better bigger and stronger than we could ever think. In the Old Testament, in the story of uh, the Tower of Babel, uh, they're, building this, they're building this tower, and it's so tall. They're trying to reach heaven in this tower, and Nimrod is the king, and he's just making people go. I'm sure countless of people died trying to build that tower, but they're building this tower super high, and um, 
there's a moment, and, and the, some people take this the wrong way. Some people think that God feared what humans were doing. Uh, I don't believe that because I know science now. Uh, but uh, I believe that they were building that tower so tall that God knew that they were going to kill themselves, that there was going to be something that either they went too high where there was no oxygen or they're going to go too high where the wind's just going to topple this tower over. And God said to himself, uh, there's nothing that man can do together. There's nothing that man and unity can do together. And so uh, we've, we've had those moments, right? We, we surpassed Nimrod when we went to the moon. We, we surpassed that. When we orbited the earth, when we set satellites up, we were doing the impossible. When we learned how to fly in an airplane, when we learned how to nuke our food in a microwave, we were doing the impossible. We are doing the impossible. These things would be considered witchcraft back in Bible times. But now, because of unity, because of community, we are doing the impossible every single day. Um, that's not what I was going to talk about. But last week, that's the whole purpose of having a strong community, that we can achieve the impossible, that we can stand strong when adversity, when things come against us, when COVID-19 comes against us, when lockdowns are bringing us down. Us staying together as a unit and encouraging each other will get us through those times. Um, and that is Jesus' desire. That was only the first piece of the puzzle, though. You know, the, the love each other, that was only the first piece. In fact, I would say that it is only the picture of what the puzzle is supposed to be. How, how many of y'all have bought a, a puzzle before? Let's, let's just throw an easy number out, a thousand-piece puzzle, right? Uh, you have a puzzle you, you look on the box, and the picture is majestic, and it's awesome, and it's glorious. And you're like, oh, dude, I'm going to have this picture in puzzle form on my wall because it's going to be a great achievement. And then you get in 10 pieces. You get in 20 pieces. You get in uh, another 20 pieces on another piece of the puzzle because you couldn't find the other pieces that stuck with those pieces. And so you start on another corner, and then you find out, okay, well, I, I got 20 here, so I'm going to start on, I can't find the ones that connect here, so I'm going to start on the other corner. And then you get 20 there, and then you, you, pretty soon you have 100 in, and then you're frustrated, and you throw the puzzle across the room, right? Well, what Jesus is saying when he says, love each other as I have loved you, he is showing us the picture of what heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like. He's painting this picture for us. But there are pieces to that picture that we have to fill in. And for some reason, that has been the hardest for us to figure out. Not just how, uh, not just now, but it has been a struggle of the church all the way back to when Jesus left the disciples gawking on a mountain, right? Jesus goes up into heaven, and the disciples are standing there, and they're like, they're just, he fades. He goes into the clouds, and they're still standing there. 
And the Bible says that God had to send angels down, right? Had to send angels down to say, what are y'all gawking at? Why are y'all staring into the clouds? He said he would be back. He said he was leaving for a little bit of time and that he would be back and that you had a mission to do. So go do that mission. And they're like, oh, oh, yeah, oh, okay. And so they part. But <laughs> it took the disciples a long time to figure out what Jesus actually was telling them. It really did. Even while Jesus was on earth, Jesus several times was exasperated by the disciples and how slow they were on what, what he was talking about. Um, for, the first, uh, for, uh, for the first time in almost a year, uh, they, they get the Holy Spirit, and they waited that full year. They, they waited 10 months. It was about a 10-month span from the time uh, Jesus ascended to when the Holy Spirit came, and they waited that entire time, not preaching, not going out and telling people about the love of God. They just waited. And they waited for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes. Then when he shows us, uh, when he shows up, the disciples become super public speakers. They become super motivational speakers. They're out there. They're just you know, Jesus is awesome, Jesus is great, and then thousands of people are coming in. These uneducated fishermen are now giving beautiful, accurate dis uh, dissertations of the law and the prophets pointing to Jesus. They, they break down the Old Testament, they break down all those things pointing to that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the answer. Not only are they speaking to other uneducated people about it, but they are also debating scholars of the law. These uneducated fishermen are debating scholars of the law. I don't know if you understand that. That's crazy. Um, that's crazy to think all these people, they've studied their whole lives, and these fishermen come around and start doing circles around them theo uh, theologically. And they're winning. They're not just debating. They're winning to the point that they make the scholars so mad, they want to kill them. They're like, how? How on earth are these fishermen smarter than us? How is this possible? And they're so angry. Then God decides to break them of the racism towards Gentiles and non-Jewish people. Because you got to think, who are, the, who are these people that Peter and John are going to, they're not going to the world yet. They're not going to the Gentiles yet. They have only been talking to the Jews. So the Holy Spirit comes. They get the Holy Spirit. They're talking amazingly, but it's only to the Jews. So God says, all right, we're going to break this off of them. We're going to break through this racism that has been this systematic racism that has been around since Moses, we're going to break this. And he makes Peter go to a Gentile's house, which he had never done before. In fact, it's a source of pride for Peter that he has never been in a Gentile's house. He's never been. He won't ever be. And then God tells him to go. <laughs> I can't imagine what, what that would feel like. Uh, to, to get that, like, uh, <laughs> he, Peter must really have trusted God, I think, because t 
to, to break down that long of a prejudice that he had just, in a, just by God saying, go, do it, uh, is amazing. And so he goes and he in, introduces them to the Holy Spirit, which uh, God actually didn't need him to do. God actually didn't need Peter to go to the Gentile's house to uh, tell him about the Holy Spirit. And the reason why I say that is because before Peter is done talking to the Gentiles, and in fact, what he's saying is very racist, what he's saying is that, oh yeah, me and my friends, the Jewish people, we have been given a gift called the Holy Spirit. And as he's talking, the Holy Spirit fills the Gentiles. Boom. And I've said it, I think, um, I don't know, probably at the beginning of the year whenever I spoke, I was talking about the story. And I said, you know, he's probably talking. And then he was like, okay, well, why are you all talking over me? And realize that these people are speaking in tongues. And the people who are with Peter, there's a couple of Jews that went with Peter. It says that the uncircumcised that were with Peter were astonished that even the Gentiles are able to get the Holy Spirit. Just that alone is like a racist statement. Even the Gentiles, they can get the Holy Spirit. And so God is breaking these prejudices. God is breaking these mentalities off of the disciples because the message of Christ wasn't just for the Jewish people. It was for all people, all mankind, for all time. That the message of Jesus Christ was for every single person that ever was going to live ever again. So now they realize that Jesus wasn't just teaching them love for other Jews, but for the whole world. Not only that, but now the food restrictions of the law uh, had no bearing on them because they were now a part of the new covenant that was for the whole earth. See, Paul had this, I mean, Peter had this vision of all these animals and all this stuff coming down, pigs and all the other stuff they can't eat. I don't, I don't know the whole litany, but all these things that are coming down that they, they couldn't eat before. And, G, and Peter's like, no, nah, I'm not going to eat any of that. And Jesus says, good, it, it's good. I haven't made anything evil. You can eat these things. So he once again breaks down another prejudice. He, he once again breaks down another law. And he's revealing slowly to them that they are now in a new covenant. They are now in a new agreement with God. That these other laws, these laws that have been stacked up against them, that they've had to follow in order to find redemption, in order to be forgiven, all these laws are arbitrary. All these laws are, have no more bearing over them because Jesus took all those laws onto himself and he fulfilled the law, and it was done. It was finished. He even says, for, Jesus even says from the cross, it is finished. This covenant is finished. And he raises from the dead, and when Jesus raises from the dead, he brings back that new covenant. And that is the covenant that they are trying to figure out. So now that they have figured out that they can eat stuff that they couldn't eat before, they have to figure out what parts of the law 
they have to keep and what parts of the law they no longer need to adhere to. They have to figure that out. I mean, they're looking at a puzzle. They know what the puzzle's supposed to look like, but they're looking at all these pieces scattered everywhere, and they're picking up each piece, and they're going, okay, does this fit here? Does this fit here? Where is this supposed to go? And they're trying to sort out their own beliefs, right? The Holy Spirit is, when they speak, the Holy Spirit's giving them words. The Holy Spirit is giving them theology. But when they're not speaking, all of a sudden this internal battle starts going off in them. And they're like, well, but I thought, why have we been doing all this for so long? And and it sent, and uh, probably a lot of it is is habit. You know, I have been raised in church all my life. Uh, you know, from the day I was born, my parents were pastors, and I've been going to church every single Sunday, my whole life. Uh, I went to Sunday night service. I went to Wednesday night service. I went to uh, revival services. I went to other people's revival services. I went to afterglow services. I went to prayer meetings. I went to fellowship meetings. I went to anything the church was doing. Me and my family were there. I almost had a breakdown one time at my dad. My dad used to do a New Year's thing. And man, bless my dad. He was just trying to stay encouraged. And I was a jerk. But we had a small church, and he was doing this New Year's thing. And the big church in town that I went to school at had a New Year's thing as well for the youth. And it, their youth was like 200, 300 kids. It was a party. And my dad's church was like seven old people uh, at this thing. And I was I begged my dad, Dad, let me go to face thing. And just let me go. Just let me go. And... My dad is pretty stubborn, just like me, and uh, he was like, no, he wasn't bending at all that whole night, and it crushed me when I was a kid because I was like, man, I just don't understand this, and, uh, but, but that is kind of how I grew up. I grew up in church. I grew up as if I was a, a Jewish boy back then going trying to be a Pharisee or being raised in the Levite uh, camp, that they were going to church all the time. They were learning the Bible all the time. They were learning the law. They were learning the prophets. They were memorizing these things. And so now that I'm 32, I think I'm 32, 32, 31. Okay, I'm 31. I'm about to be 32. Um, now on Sunday mornings, I can't help but feel like I need to be in church. When I wake up on Sunday mornings, it feels wrong for me not to be in church. Now, I don't think that being in church separates us from God any more than not being in church does. I, I believe that, that God is always with us. I believe that God is everywhere with us, that we can have church anywhere. But on Sunday morning at 10 a.m., I feel like I need to be at church because of how I was raised. And the disciples are going through this exact same thing. They know the law. They've been living out the law their whole life. And now they don't have to do those things, but yet they still do them. They still go to the synagogue. 
they still reserve, they still uh, observe the festivals. They still observe the feasts. They still watch what they eat. They still watch who they go around. And so God's breaking these things off of them, but it's it's hard, man. It they're wired. They're brainwashed. They're they're programmed into this way of life. And so you have you have people as they start changing things, you have other Jewish people in the church bucking back a little bit. And they're saying, "Hold up, hold up. The Messiah what the Messiah have for us never said that we would never, ever get to eat pigs. It never, ever said that. It didn't say that in the Old Testament. It didn't say that in the law. It didn't say that in the prophets. So where are you getting this from, right? And so there's this. there starts becoming this war. They very quickly come to the realization that the law was fill, fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And to make, uh, and to make, um, I, I don't know what I put in my notes. I was really tired last night when I typed these up, apparently, because I just wrote a sentence that made no grammatical sense at all. So hold on. Um, and to make others come under the law. Okay, there we go. Figured it out. I missed an S. Okay. Um, so, uh, so now they have to figure that out. They have to figure out what parts of the law they have to keep and what parts of the law they no longer need to adhere to. They quickly come to the realization that the law is fulfilled through Jesus Christ, and to make others come underneath the law is not what Jesus ever wanted. To make people under the the rule of of the law, under the thumb of the law, was not Jesus' intent. In fact, what did Jesus teach when he was here? He taught no eye for an eye, no tooth for a tooth. In fact, I tell you to love your enemies. That was opposite from what the law said. The law did not say love your enemies. The law said if someone wrongs you, you get to wrong them back. You get to do that back to them tenfold. And so Jesus never wanted that. But still, they couldn't make the switch. Jesus brings uh, so Jesus decides to bring in a mass murderer into their ranks. In walks Paul, right? And if we were watching a movie, he'd be walking through the door right now, like happy-go-lucky, just like doing this thing, like, hey, 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 guys. It's Paul. Mass murderer Paul, right? And I say mass murderer Paul because Paul was not his original name. Paul is one of the most controversial characters in the whole Bible, and he wrote most of it. But he's so controversial. He fights with Christians all the time. And he's a Christian. And he, his real name is Saul. Quickly, go over. I know you guys know the story, but somebody might be watching this that doesn't know the story. His real name is Saul. Saul killed a lot of Christians in the name of God. He was a Jewish Pharisee who... who uh, who memorized the law, who followed all the laws, and this new sect of Christianity, this new, they called it the way, this new, the way, comes up and starts teaching Jesus, starts teaching Jesus a blasphemer in his eyes, starts teaching that they don't have to follow the law, blasphemy in his eyes, and he, as a young man, gets stirred up and fired up. It says that when the first martyr, Stephen, died, that Paul was standing there collecting everybody's coats as they stoned him. 
He was out there, hey, you want me to get your goat so you can throw a rock at this guy? He's like grabbing all those trees, like holding them all. And it says that he saw what was happening and thought it was good. And so then Saul goes on a tear, and he goes out and he starts finding these Christians. He starts stoning them. He starts ridiculing them. He hates Christians so much that he's going out and he's killing them by the, by the dozens. He, he's going into these cities. He's routing out these Christians. He's, he's being a spy, espionage stuff. He's like running out there and he's figuring out who these Christians are. He's bringing them, kicking in their door, dragging them outside for everybody else to see and killing them. He hated them for going against the law of Moses, which he believed was God's law, which he firmly believed. He firmly believed in God. He firmly believed in the law. He firmly believed that what he was doing was honoring God. And he's killing people. Then in walks Jesus, right? And Jesus decides, all right, this guy, right? This is the guy that I need. This is the guy that's going to shake up my disciples. This is the guy that's going to change things. And so he comes down. He shows himself to him, and he says, Saul, why are you killing me, man? Why are you killing me? He blinds him. And then later he sends him into the Damascus where he was headed, where Saul was headed to kill somebody. He sends him into Damascus blind. And the only person that can heal him is the person that he came to kill. And so man comes nervous, scared. He walks in. Paul t- uh, Saul tells him what happened. Immediately, as he prays over him, it says the scales fall off Saul's eyes, and he can see again. And not only that, he's completely changed. He's now a new person. Now he sees Christ. Not only was his physical sight given to him, but the veil that was over his head, the veil that was over his eyes that kept him from seeing the goodness of Jesus, kept him from seeing the fulfillment of the law, it was now removed. And now the, now the Christian church, now the way, has one of the most prepared, educated people that they've ever had on their team. The most educated person that they could ever get was Paul. And now they got him. Paul becomes the biggest advocate of Jesus, not only to the Jews, but he is specifically called to teach the Gentiles and the non-Jewish people. See, Paul was, was born a Roman citizen, so he has dual citizenship. He's, he's a Roman citizen, and he's also a Jewish citizen. So he can speak to both worlds. He has experienced both worlds. So he is able to bridge the gap. He is able to join these two groups that hate each other or these two groups that separate each other from, from themselves. Um, he's able to bridge this gap. And he's able to teach Jews and Gentiles about Jesus and the love of the Father. Paul becomes a very, he becomes very good at what he does. However, there's a bit of a problem in the church. 
See, before Saul came along, this problem began. And uh, Peter, when he goes to the Gentiles' house, I told you that the circumcised that were with him, the Jews that were with him, they saw this and were amazed that even the Gentiles could get the Holy Spirit. And so Peter goes back with those guys, and they report to Jerusalem everything that happened. Peter says, hey, listen, you know, the council of people who were uh, Christ followers, right? He goes back and he says, listen, guys, I just went to a Gentile's house. And they were all like, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. And he was like, no, 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 no. It's cool. They got the Holy Spirit, too. And everybody's like, <gasps> dun, dun, dun. You know, like they were in shock. Like, what are you talking about, Peter? And he tells the whole story. But the thing is, is that the people that were with him, they start ridiculing him. They start pointing fingers at him and saying, hey, listen, no, 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 no. It, yeah, maybe they got the Holy Spirit, but they're still Gentiles. And so right there starts becoming a, a divide in Christianity. Of the people who are saying, Jesus set us free from the law, and people who are saying, Jesus took our sins and washed us free of our sins, but we still need to maintain the law. And there's this divide. And actually, the first missionary group was not from Peter's camp. The first missionary group was from the law camp. And they send them out ahead of Peter's group, Peter and John. They go ahead of them to a city and start teaching them. Listen, they start teaching Jesus, but they start teaching that if you become a follower of Jesus, you need to be circumcised. You need to follow the law. And then Peter and John show up and they go, whoa, 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 whoa. We just discussed this. We were with Jesus. That's not true. And there becomes this war, right? So Peter starts to teach that they could eat whatever they want. And this threw up red flags for him. For the council of leaders in the church, uh, uh, but the council of leaders in the church, they decided that this was okay. They decided that, yes, the freedom that Jesus gave was freedom from the law. But then the disciples begin to teach that uh, to the new Christians that they don't need to be circumcised. And this triggers people. And this is why it triggers people. Because the reason the Jewish Christians had a problem with this was because circumcision wasn't a Moses thing. It was an Abraham thing. It wasn't just in the law. This happened before the law. This happened before they were God's people, all the way back to when Abraham was God's person. So, of course, these new Jewish Christians needed to be circumcised, or Gentiles needed to be circumcised, or they wouldn't be a part of them. Because the way that the, Jew, the Jews were labeled God's people, the way that they were separated from the Gentiles was that they were circumcised. You could tell who was a Jew. You could tell who was different. Peter and John were fighting this way of thinking way before Paul shows up on the scene. But 
this type of teaching kept finding its way back into the church time and time and time again. These people didn't go away. These people who said we need to follow the law never went away. Paul had to address this issue in four of his books. He write, in four of the books that he, is, he writes or that he is included in, Paul directly addresses this issue, this issue of uncircumcised versus circumcised. And he says in Galatians 5, 1 through 6, it says this, it is, and this is what Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. I'm going to reread that because I want that to sink in. I, Paul, arguably one of the best Christians in the world other than Jesus, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. That if you're going to obey one little piece of the law, you have to obey the whole law. All 680-something, 87 laws. Now you have to follow it. You are trying to be justified by the law. Uh, I'm sorry. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Now, what he's saying here isn't you, have, you no longer are saved by grace. He's not saying that. What he's saying is you have fallen away from the teaching of grace. You have fallen, you have fallen out of understanding of grace. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await for faith, the right, uh, by faith, the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? Through love. That the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Some of you are probably thinking, what does this what what does this have to do with community? And I just say, stick with me. Okay? Uh, there's a purpose. Uh, I write my messages as a journey, okay? I painted a picture for you. Now we gotta get there. Now we gotta put the puzzles together. Uh, so we have this division amongst the followers of Christ. But the original message is what Paul said. On Galatians, at the beginning of that verse that I read, Galatians 5.1, the original message is this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom, not for the law, not for bringing people underneath the law that weren't underneath the law before. In fact, it was to set the people who were under the law free to be like 
the Gentiles, where they are not under the law, but instead they fall into the law of love. That nothing else matters but love. Freedom to do whatever they want? No. It's not what I'm saying. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what Peter said. That's not what John said. That's not what Paul said. It's not what the disciples said. They did not say, you're free to do whatever you want. They said, it's the freedom to express our faith through love instead of through laws and rules. To express our faith in God through love to other people. A love that demands more from us than the law ever did. Because it calls us to love someone else other than ourselves. More than we love our own selves. We are called to love other people. And that is a higher law than the law of Moses. That is a higher law than any law of the land, any nation any nation's laws, any nation's rules, the law of love is above all else, and it demands more than any other law. It demands it. It demands that we lay down our lives for each other. It demands that we give up our lives to make, for the greater good of the other person, of the people around us. There's something else that Paul says about circumcision that I find parallels us today. He says it in Galatians 6, 12. Same book. Same book. He's just bringing it back, okay? It's kind of like a comedian. If you ever notice a stand-up comedian, they will say a joke at the beginning, and they'll get a laugh, or they'll say it in the middle, and they'll get a big laugh from it. And then they put that joke in their pocket because at the end of their stand-up, they throw it out again, and they get a second laugh of it. And that's how they end the night. They, they bring it back. Boom, second joke. Ha, 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 we were already laughing at this, and we're going to laugh it again. Peace, I'm out of here. Leave on a high note. This is what Paul's doing, only it, it's not a joke. He says this, Galatians 6, 12. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid persecution for what? For the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, this verse is a little confusing the way that it's worded, so I'm going to read it again. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh, by means of physical deeds, are trying to compel you to be circumcised. They, the only reason they are trying to compel you to be circumcised and that they themselves hold that standard is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. He is saying that the people who are preaching circumcision and the law are only doing it to avoid persecution for the cross. In other words, they're only doing it they are only doing those things out of fear, not out of love. They are doing it to avoid judgment. They are not doing it out of love for God. 
Do you see the difference? They don't want to fall under the wrath of God for Jesus dying. So they do exactly what the law says to do. And they think if they didn't, then they are open to the persecution for the cross by God himself. That they are open, that they're left open, that God can judge them for Jesus because they are not living under the law. Paul is saying that they are circumcised because they are afraid. If, in fact, they're only following Christ for the same reason. It's not love that is driving them. It's fear. Okay? I say that this parallels our life now because how many people are following Christ out of fear, not out of love? He goes on, he says this in in Galatians 6.13, not even those who are circumcised keep the law. They're not even keeping the law. They're circumcised, and they're still not following the law. Yet, they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. In other words, they just want to boast about converting you to their way of thinking. They want to say, man, we got 50 people saved this Easter. Man, we got 60 people saved. Man, we had 60 people pray the prayer of salvation. Man, how great are we? How awesome are we? The reason I'm talking about this, all this, is that I started seeing a very strong parallel in the church today and in this same debate that they had back then. It's been preached to me my whole life that Jesus loves me, that he died for me, that he wants me to be with him, but if I get tattoos, I won't go to heaven. But if I curse, I won't go to heaven. But if I watch certain things, I won't go to heaven. But if I drink, I won't go to heaven. But if I smoke, I won't go to heaven. Even in the back, back in the 50s, people were being told this. If they go to movies, they're not getting into heaven. If they go bowling, they're not getting into heaven. If you move your hips while singing, you're definitely not getting into heaven because that's sexual. That's chocolate, okay? If you have any form of fun, if, if you're doing something that is fun, you're definitely not going into heaven. That's for sure because heaven is for for people who live a strict life here on earth, and then we can have our fun. Then we can go bowling. Then we can go watch movies in heaven. But here on earth, no fun. Not at all. But what did Jesus preach that made us so terrified of being of not being with him? What did he teach? What was it that he said that made people go, Man, 
I need to watch what I do, what I say, how I act, or else God's not going to welcome me into heaven. What was it? I don't know. That's a legitimate question. What was it? Because in my studies, and in the way that I read the Bible, Jesus is very focused on his teachings. Very focused. Laser focused. Jesus came to change the way that we saw each other and the world around us. Speech after speech after speech, Jesus taught, love your enemies, love your neighbors, care for the needy, love the unlovable, and care for everyone around you. The only people he spoke, about, uh, spoke out against were the people who were holding the law in condemnation over the people yet weren't even following it themselves. That's the, that's the people that Jesus had a problem with. And even at that, he still loved them. He still cared enough to address what they were doing and then give them constructive criticism. Like, hey, uh, go away. <laughs> you know, like, hey, leave us alone. Because uh, you're not going to like what's going to happen next. As a community, we are to build each other up, not be the voice of judgment, tearing others down. We're to be the voice that builds people up. We're to be the voice of love that surpasses anything that they've ever experienced before. Acceptance, love, uh Uh, patience and kindness to them. We are to show the love of Christ. We are to point people to the love Christ talked about. So the question is, why do you follow Christ? Is it because you love him? Is it because you want to give back to him? You're grateful for the love that he showed us, you're grateful for the love that he shows us every single day, you're grateful for not being underneath the law, you're grateful for not having to go give sacrifices, you're grateful that, the, that God the Father never hated you, never was angry with you, never looked down on you over your shoulder making sure that you were doing what you were told to do. God the Father never did that. And where I get that from is Hebrews. The book of Hebrews says it, that God didn't even want the sacrifices. That God the Father loved us so much that he gave his only son for us. That Jesus came down willing to die for us. Is that why you follow him? Is that? Is it because he first loved us even when we were ignorant of his love? Even when we didn't know who God was? Even when we were running away from God? We didn't want anything to do with God? He still loved us? Is that why you follow him? Or is it just to stay out of hell? Pause for effect because there's no one in this room. It's really powerful. Or is the only reason you're following Christ because of your fear of hell? 
The church has been really good at teaching us to fear what happens after we die. That we've lost the focus of the kingdom of God in the first place. They've t- people have taken our picture of love each other, the kingdom of God that Jesus painted for us, and they've replaced it with this picture that's split in half of a narrow road leading to heaven and a broad road leading to the depths of hell and flames and torture and a bunch of people going that way and then like one person walking down the narrow path to heaven. They've replaced our picture of the kingdom of heaven for the judgment of hell. Jesus taught us how to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth through the love of what? For one another. And I've said that. I, I sound like a broken record. I even say this in every single one of my messages. I say this little preface every single time because it's so important. It's so important. The message of love is so important. And people, whenever I say the message of love, they think I'm talking about hippie love. They think I'm talking about peace, love, man. Yo, we all need to be peaceful. We all need to just love each other. Peace, brother, soul, brother. You know? No, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is a law of love that demands, demands a higher standard. It demands us to love each other. It demands us whenever we feel uncomfortable and we feel like we need to just relax and sit down. It's time to stand up. It's time to go take care of your kids. It's time to go take care of your neighbors. It's time to get up and care about the people who are hurting around you. To get up and find the people who maybe are angry, who maybe are filled with just wrath and angry at the world, and finding out what's really wrong with them. Finding out what really needs to be fixed. And being there, not saying, oh, you're wrong, you need to be fixed, but instead sitting there and listening and learning about that person, and being there for that person, and working with that person, and being in community with that person, even if they are not a follower of Christ, but that they are in your community. So you, follower of Christ, be Christ to them. Be Christ to those people. That's how they'll even know that you follow Christ. Not because you're out here proclaiming. Not because you're out here saying, oh, well, I'm going to church today. I wish someone would come with me. But instead, you're loving people and they go, oh, what's different about you? Man, why are you so nice? It's really annoying how nice you are. Why is that? And you can say, well, it's because I'm terrified of hell. Or... You can say, it's because Christ first loved me. He first loved all of us before we even knew about him. Jesus taught us how to bring the kingdom of earth to of heaven to earth through love of one another. If we understood love, we would see heaven on earth. If we truly loved each other, if we truly understood what Jesus taught us, 
There would be no wars. There'd be no fighting. There'd be no racism, oppression, prejudice. All those things would be gone. There'd be no pedophilia. There'd be no rapes. There'd be no assaults. There'd be no murders. Nothing. Because we were all loving one another as Christ loved us. If we understood how, love, how to love, we wouldn't fear what happens to us after we die. It's true. If we truly understood love, that would drive out all selfishness. That would drive out all sin out of our life. Because we understood love and we were living in love to other people. We wouldn't fear what happens to us after we die. Because we would be doing what Jesus commanded us to do. Jesus never commanded us to go out and preach a message of Jesus saved us from hell. Jesus never did that. Jesus never taught us to go out and preach a message that said, if you want to be eternally with Christ, then you have to do this. You have to do that. You have to clean up your life. You have to do all. No, Jesus taught one thing over and over and over and over and over again, and it confused every single person that he talked to, and that was love. Love. And the crazy thing, just like in John, John, uh, in, uh, John 1, he says that Jesus was the light of the world that came down to earth. And the darkness couldn't understand the light. The love that Jesus came down with was that light. The message of love, the message uh, uh, that God wasn't angry, but God loved them. That message came down and the darkness doesn't understand it. Because the darkness is selfish. Because the darkness only cares about one person. And that is themselves. I don't believe that humans are, in, are eternally bad. I don't think that we are originally bad. I don't believe that we are born bad. I don't believe that we're born into sin. But I do believe that we are born into darkness meaning the darkness of ignorance, the darkness of not knowing who God's love. But God's love is there. It's always there. It was there before we were born. It was there before we were knit together. David was on something. Back way before Jesus, David was on something. And he said, where can I go that's away from you. I can't go to the highest mountain and be away from you. I can't go to the lowest valley. I can't even go to the depths of the ocean because you are always there. You were there when I was knit together in my mother's womb. You were there. When I think about Jesus, what Jesus taught us about the kingdom of heaven, I think about that puzzle, right? 
Think about that picture that's on that cover. The finished product. It's right there in all its glory. It's beaming up at us. This beautiful picture. But when you open the box and all the pieces are broken apart, at first you're like, yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. We've got this. We can fix this. We can bring heaven here. We can make this picture exist again. And if you finish the puzzle without throwing it across the room, as I do, if you finish the puzzle, you have a recreation of that same picture But this time, you actively had a hand in completing it. You actively made that picture happen. The puzzle pieces were all there, but they were not the same picture. But if you sit down and you piece them together, you start realizing the intent of the Creator. You start realizing the intent of the painter. You start realizing what the picture actually is. You're looking at the reference. You're looking back at that picture and you're going, okay, well, this piece, this piece right here, it goes right there. Jesus gave us a picture of what the puzzle of the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. It's our job to assemble it here on earth. It's our job to bring the kingdom of heaven down. We don't need to wait. We don't need to tarry and pray that Jesus would come back soon. Because Jesus is going to come when he comes. That's it. He'll be here on this earth when he decides to be on this earth. Until then, it is our job to bring heaven to earth. Not, it is not our job to avoid hell. It is not our job to get into heaven. Our job is to bring heaven to earth and get the hell out of earth. To get the hell out of people. If you want true community, if we want true community in our lives, our church and our city, we have to be intentional about our love for each other. We have to be intentional. We have to be forgiving. We have to be patient. We have to be kind. We have to ask the questions of what's really going on. What's really going on? You know, uh, I didn't get that TPS report on time. What's really going on? Why didn't you send that report? Is there something I can do to help you with that report? Is there something that I can do to help you? Not out of wanting my TPS report turned in on time, but out of care for that person. Paul writes in Romans 14, 13 through 19. He writes this. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. 
Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or your sister is distressed because of what you eat, you no longer you're no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of evil. Okay? What one instant when I read that preparing for this message, one of the things that popped up in my head, the this verse that says, Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of evil. I thought of God the Father. I know that God the Father is good. I know that God the Father's love is good. I know that God the Father is not angry. So when I hear other people talk about God the Father like that, man, in me stirs this passion to defend him. In me stirs this passion of standing up for my heavenly Father. That he's not evil. That he doesn't cause things to happen that are evil in the earth. But instead he fixes and mends those things. For the kingdom of, it will go on. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's do everything, every make every effort to come together in community. God wants us to live in community with one another. He wants us to be one body, one mind, one spirit. We have to start living how Jesus commanded us. We have to love one another. Not out of fear, not out of condemnation, but out of love. Unconditional love for one another. That's how we show the lost who their father really is. That's how we show the sheep who have run away how to get back to the flock. That's how we show each other who our father really is if we love one another. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Man, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for everything that you've brought us through. I thank you for everything that you've done for us, God. I thank you for breaking off the rule of law and fear on our lives and replacing it with love, 
unconditional love. God, I pray that I am able to show that love. I pray that I am able to be patient when, I, when I'm antsy, that I am able to be patient and kind and loving to even my enemies, God. So that I point constantly back to you. That I point constantly back to your love, Father. That was always there for us. That I point back to Jesus, what you did for us. How now the Father, he only sees you when he sees us. He only sees us as heirs. He only sees us as sons. He only only sees us as a part of his family. Maybe some of us are confused. Maybe some of us are angry or ignorant or lost. But that doesn't change who we are in you, Christ. I thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you keep us You remind us to always love, to always care, not only for ourselves, but for other people, God. In Jesus' name.